Greetings, fellow joymongers. Welcome to another episode of Joyfully You Life with Dr. Petrina Clark. Today, I am positively thrilled to be joined by Althea Lawton Thompson. She's the president of Aerobics, Yoga, and More, an Atlanta-based corporate wellness company. Althea worked as an executive for GE Capital in several financial services and human resource capacities until a layoff in 1996 gave her the opportunity to do what she was truly passionate about, fitness and wellness. And I can tell you that during my brief connection with Althea, I can actually say this is more than a passion. It is clearly a calling. With a focus on holistic well-being, Althea uses traditional healing practices from around the world to support improved overall health and happier lifestyles. She's a best-selling author, holistic mind-body expert, and all-around amazing human being. Althea, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Katrina. You make me feel all good and gooey on the inside. (laughs) Thank you. Well, that's how you make me feel. So it's really good to have you with me today. Thank you so much for agreeing to just be in conversation with me today on what I believe is perhaps one of the most important elements of our being well. And I think our conversation is especially timely. I'm a huge tennis fan and we've got quite a a stir, I think, in the mental wellness community right now. Mm over Osaka's decision to withdraw from the French Open Mm -hmm. because she she attempted to create a boundary for herself Mm -hmm. and her mental well-being by saying, I'm not going to participate in these kinds of activities. And that was met with really uh, what some have described as kind of harsh blowback and criticism from some. And she, rather than being a distraction to the games as well as ensuring that she was doing what she believed to be in her best interest, said, you know what? Just going to take a step back from this for a moment. So smart, so intelligent for someone so young. Yeah, I agree. And to be able to do that when it can be very difficult for us, particularly, I think, as women of color, to establish boundaries for ourselves and Mm -hmm. lovingly and gently, I think, reinforce those boundaries But even when doing it that way, we still are sometimes just met with what can feel like overly harsh criticism of our desire to establish and protect boundaries for ourselves. You know what I find interesting is allowing things from the outside to have impact on our insides. Mm -hmm. What was lovely about the quarantine in 2020 was having a mandated boundary between external interference and some of our internal lives. And so many people had not had that joyful experience of shutting everything out and going inward, sleepingly, being still, eating a meal with family, not rushed to go here or there. And now that the world is opening up, some people are feeling that need to go back out again and be subjective to external requirements of our time, of our being, of our spirit. And I think what Osaka is doing is not requiring a quarantine to step back, step away and go inward. And I think just turning off news, turning off social media, turning off the telephone, 
you won't even receive the criticism. Mm -hmm. She won't receive the criticism. It can be out there, but we don't have to receive it. We always have a choice. We always have a choice. Beautiful insight, beautiful insight. And I love this reinforcement of the idea of choice. I will tell you, I was actually having some anxiety about re-entry. I'm a a single person and I live alone. And so I've had a lot of alone time. Mm -hmm. Pre-pandemic, I was one of those people that you just described. I was always running to the next thing and calendar double booked sometimes and just really always plugged in, always connected, always engaged and not really being intentional about the things that I was going to do, should be doing, wanted to be doing, and rather just kind of mindlessly did. So this idea of, I think, re-engaging perhaps a part of the anxiety is around this idea of ensuring that I'm being intentional with my Mm -hmm. time Mm -hmm. and with my energy, because that's just so vital, I think, to our overall well-being. Absolutely. It's a form of self-love. Yeah. So what what advice would you have for people who might be as we begin to reopen and emerge and re-engage with one another? You know, what would be some of your loving words of affirmation as we endeavor to step back out into the world, so to speak, and begin being social again with one another? There is always time for me. There is always time for me. A lot of people will say, well, I I don't have time for that. There's only 24 hours in a day. What everyone who knows me knows about me is no matter how busy the day may be or um, my perception of how much time exists, a good portion of that time will be with me by myself. Mm. I love to meditate quietly by myself in the morning typically outside, regardless of the weather. And in the evening, I have to, again, be by myself, usually around sunset or moonrise. And something about that quiet downtime with just me allows me to decompress or to prepare one or the other, depending on if it's sunrise or sunset. Decompression at the end of the day, preparation in the beginning of the day, and really setting the foundation. And everyone from my children, to my mother, to my husband, to my friends, to my clients, no, they will not be able to reach me during those times. There is no phone anywhere near me. I'm not near a computer. There are no electronics anywhere around me because I need time to just be still. And then I can engage with others. And it happens every day, regardless of where I am. I think that's a beautiful practice. A part of what I have shared and joyfully you is this idea of taking time to be still and know, be still, be quiet. And as a Chopra certified meditation instructor, you know, we certainly follow that twice a day mm-hmm. meditation practice. You start out in the morning and you begin with this inward journey and you do the same thing in the evening. And that is truly the way to give yourself gaps or get breaks with this constantly being plugged in. And so I do hope, I think that's a beautiful reminder for all of us as we do begin to reemerge and re-engage that we have to continue to make time for ourselves 
take time for ourselves and in doing so create opportunities to have great clarity mm-hmm. about our purpose and intention for ourselves. Yes. Because days quickly turn into weeks and weeks quickly turn into months and you could easily get through a significant block of time without having been intentional about any of it. Mm-hmm. Or not even be in touch with yourself. Yeah. And then you look back and you wonder, where did the month go? Where did the week go? Where did the day go? And you realize you've given everything you have to people and things outside of you. And that's not right. It's, it's just not right. It's not it's fair. Not it's not right. equal. I know. It's not, right. it's not. It's not. Even the flight attendants, you know, have that kernel of wisdom for us. You have to put your own mask on first before you start rendering aid to others. And Absolutely. So yeah, and so many of us operate from almost empty tanks all the time because no sooner than we get it half full, we're you know pouring out, pouring out, pouring out. So I feel like that's a really nice segue into this conversation about energy mm-hmm. that I wanted to have with you because your work in this space is just incredible and amazing. And there's just so much that can be said about energy But I do think it would be helpful because sometimes I think as a community, there's a shying away from non-traditional modalities. Mm -hmm. And so I'd like to have at least a brief conversation about Reiki and how it can really be a wonderful tool for dealing with all kinds of things, but in particular, you know, trauma, because Mm -hmm. we seem to be having quite a bit of trauma individually and collectively as people of color in America and what that continues to mean. You know, we just came off the 100 year anniversary of the Tulsa massacre. And I was reading several articles about the post-traumatic stress syndrome of the descendants of that horrific event in American history. And so I just wanted to talk about, you know, what is Reiki and how it can be a tool to support us with dealing with all kinds of things that we find happening in our lives? Yeah, that's a great question. And I want to start with two things. One would be kind of discussing what do we mean by energy in terms of um, non-traditional or depending on where you're from, traditional indigenous Mm -hmm. therapies around energy and what energy means. But then also what is Reiki? What are we even saying? So I'll start with Reiki. Reiki, the word, is a Japanese word, R-E-I-K-I. That in Japanese breaks up into two words, Rei, R-E-I, and K-I, Ki. And Ki is like energy. It's energy moving through the body. And now that brings me back to the first part, energy. Energy, we can see it at work when we talk about static electricity. You know, if you drag your feet across carpet in the winter and the heat is on, you get a shock, right? Electrical shock, or some people can move their hair or you can move lint, you know, things stick to clothing. That is literal electric energy that we can't see, but we feel it happening between two objects. That same energy runs through our bodies and it runs along meridians. And when people get acupressure, acupuncture and massage, Massage therapists, acupressurists, acupuncturists are literally moving their fingers, their hands along these meridians in our body, and they can feel gaps or holes 
where the energy is not flowing as it should in our body. And that's basically what those therapies are for. Now, here Mm -hmm. in the West, we would call those non-traditional because they're not traditional to us in the West. We believe in medicine, right? But in the East and in most other countries around the world and other continents, those are traditional indigenous forms of wellness and therapy that keep us not only physically healthy, but also mentally and emotionally healthy. And so when we talk about joy, that's what these therapies mean. And so going back to the word Reiki, chi means energy. It's the same as chi in Chinese. It's the same as prana. Um, When we're talking about some of the Indian therapies, these are all things that move energy within our body. Hence, Tai Chi. When you do Tai Chi, you're moving energy. When there's pranayama, that's moving energy through breath work when people are doing yoga. So I wanted to at least break that down. So when we're talking about Reiki, we're talking about a universal energy force moving through the body. And in this particular practice, which was started in the late 1800s by an individual named Usui, U-S-U-I, he believed that we could move energy in individuals by passing our hand over parts of the body, over these meridians and these energy wheels known as chakras within the body. And within the body, there are 144 wheels of intersections of meridians or chakras, seven of them being main ones, having the most intersections. And when we move our hands, cupped fingers together, slightly curved over these major intersections, we can shift the energy in someone's body. We can sense when it's blocked or clogged, when it's excessive, too much energy, when it's deficient, not enough energy. And each of these energy centers relates to different feelings in real life, whether it's a broken heart, that would be chakra four and the heart, whether it's um, low self-esteem, a lack of confidence, that would be in the abdomen around the navel, chakra three. Maybe it's a lack of flow. It's not having comfortable intimacy sexually or even just relationally. That's a lack in chakra two and the genitals. If you're not feeling safe and secure, maybe you're in an abusive relationship. Maybe you've lost your job and you don't know how you're going to pay for your home. That's chakra one. So that's what Reiki is. It's basically moving the hands over the body, finding areas where they're is discomfort or dis-ease and helping an individual move their own energy so that it can flow for peace, joy, and health in the physical, emotional, and mental body, as well as the spiritual body, especially at the top chakra, the crown at the top of the head. That's a beautiful explanation and description, and I love how you made it so accessible. How would one find a good Reiki practitioner, Reiki master Mm. out there? There are Reiki practitioners all over the world, speaking every language, identifying with every gender pronoun known to man and woman. Then <laughs> um, <laughs> other, right? Yeah, all the others. And what's interesting is Reiki comes in different levels. Reiki one is learning how to practice self-healing on oneself. So in that case, you don't even need to look outside of you for anyone. We are always enough. I am enough for myself. So I can place my hand on my heart 
and lovingly give intention of, I am going to forgive myself of things I have done that I feel guilty and shameful about, and I'm going to forgive others that have done things to me. And I am self-healing in my heart chakra by placing my hand on my own heart. So that's a level one. That's finding ourselves. Level one chakra practitioner, or excuse me, Reiki practitioners are also able to work on family members, their children, a parent, a sibling who's ill, or even a pet. It works on animals. And it's simply placing the hands on and around those people. A Reiki two practitioner has learned how to use certain symbols to affect the flow of energy in different areas, whether that's physical, emotional, or mental past, present, and future. And then a Reiki three practitioner is someone that is now able to teach other Reiki practitioners what to do. And they're considered a master when they have past attunements. And attunements are simply opening up someone's energy to receive downloads of energy from other realms. And I know I've gone super deep, but that's literally what attunements is for and what it means. So if somebody did go and start researching Reiki, R-E-I-K-I, they're going to see all the things I'm talking about. The word attunement, energy movement, hands, and they're going to see these wheels of energy in different colors known as chakras. So I wanted to make sure I at least say that, even though it might sound a little woo-woo for some of the people listening. No, it's okay. And and my listeners will be very familiar with this idea of having science with our woo-woo. So woo-woo, mm-hmm. is, a good, <laughs> woo-woo is a good thing. Yes, I love woo-woo. I do too. So you've done some phenomenal work with some phenomenal people. And one of the features, one of your featured offerings, I should say, is your retreats. Mm. And they're around this idea of living life limitlessly. Absolutely. Can you share a little bit with the listeners about your inspiration for the overall framework for the retreat of living life limitlessly? And what are some key takeaways from folks who complete that retreat with you? Mm, Thank you so much for asking that, Dr. Petrina. The tagline, Living Life Limitlessly, came to me during a difficult time in my life, but in the life of a very, very close sister friend. When I first started my health and wellness business, I was based in Maryland and I had a woman who was my assistant, but she was also like my sister. She was right there with me when I started my wellness TV show. She was right there with me when I started producing videos and traveling to present around the country. She was right there with me when I gave birth to my second son and helped me with my kids as we would travel and present and teach and do these videos. She was in the videos. And when I decided to relocate my family to Atlanta, she packed up her life in Maryland and moved five minutes away from my husband, my kids, and me here in Atlanta to help me run my yoga studio. And hence, it was our yoga studio, aerobics, yoga, and more. The studio had been open for two years when she was diagnosed with leukemia. And I began having to take care of her because she was here by herself helping us take care of her in the hospital, take care of her household, my household, run our studio that we were doing together by myself, teach her classes, teach my classes, and teach our corporate wellness classes. 
that were in the city all at, at one time. And we really believed that she was going to get better. She was in remission. She'd come back to the studio. We were so excited. And a year and a half later, it came back very aggressively. And in 2012, she passed away. That same year, I decided to close the studio. But those last two weeks when we were packing her up from the hospital and moving into hospice, I remember her saying, she was only 47 years old, we've done a lot of things together, Althea. We have done amazing stuff. We've traveled and we made these videos and these TV shows and we opened the studio and we've taught so many people. But gosh, I feel like there's so many more things I wish I had done and places I wished I'd gone and you know, I wish I'd gotten married and I wish I'd had children and just all these things that she said she wished she had done. And I took a personal retreat myself to care for myself just for a day. And I thought about what she said and she really wanted to live her life limitlessly without any boundaries. And during that one day break that I took, during the time of moving her from the hospital to hospice, just for my emotional well-being, my mental well-being, my spiritual well-being. I'd lost so much weight just from stress, my physical well-being. I realized I need to offer retreats for everyone because everyone is going through something. And I decided to make the tagline of the retreats, living life limitlessly. Because we need to not make these bucket lists and wait until it's too late to say, I wish I had done this and I wish I had done that. And I made a pact with myself right then and there, even though I had a child in elementary and one in middle, even though I had this studio that I was closing. And it was in 2012 during a financial crisis and I had all this debt and it could almost seem hopeless, but I decided right then I'm just going to be joyful all the time and I'm going to live my life limitlessly and I'm going to start traveling and I'm going to see what I want to see. And I'm going to literally right then and there. And that was the first retreat. I held my first retreat in 2011 during the time right before she passed away. And my second retreat was the month after she passed away in April of 2012. And I remember flying to Las Vegas. Um, I hosted a retreat in the Grand Canyon and Canyon Ranch Spa. I remember crying on the airplane because I had told my sister before she passed away, yeah, I think I'm going to do the next retreat in Las Vegas at Canyon Ranch and we're going to drive to the Grand Canyon. And she said, gosh, I've never been there. I wish I could go there. I'll probably cry right now. So sorry. Mm, no, it's okay. And I just remember her saying, I wish I could see it, but I'll see it through your eyes. Mm. That's what the retreats are. Yeah. It's magic. It's seeing things outside of what's normal for us. It's stepping outside of all of our obligations, all the critiques, self-critiques and things from other people. It's outside of all of our responsibilities and these titles that we give ourselves mom, wife, daughter, sister, brother, cousin, uncle, dad, owner, podcast host, healer, therapist. It's, it's beyond all of that. And it's just exploring places beyond the norm. None of my retreats are in traditional hotels. We're not staying at the Marriott and the Hilton. I travel extensively and, and I explore countries and I spend time with local 
people that are born and raised there and they're practicing indigenous therapies for wellness and with food and meditation and spiritual practices. And they open their homes to me. And I end up taking people to beautiful estates and family temples that have been within families for hundreds of years, for generations. And those families, they want to share with my retreat guest. They want to open their temple and show us, you know, the real meaning behind the fire dance in Bali. You know, a lot of people go to Bali and they see the fire dance, the Kikak fire dance, but not many people get to be with the dancers and the singers in their family home and have the explanation of what it means and the breakdown of how it's done and how the rhythm is created and the generations of men that are singing it and why the fire is a piece of it and why the play happens with it. People who come on my retreats get that one-on-one connection. And then we sit in the middle of a rice field and meditate during sunrise. We're in Costa Rica. We're in the rainforest, sitting at the base of a a tree that's probably 150, 200 years old. Now, while monkeys are jumping overhead, that is what the retreats are. They're living life limitlessly and touching nature and people in ways that we don't normally do every day so that we heal and we come back recognizing really the divinity of who we each are and we all are. Absolutely. That is just so beautiful. I just sit in rapt attention, just listening to you. The deep, I think, connection with what you do and conviction to what you do and your intended outcomes for wellness and well-being for the planet. It's just amazing. It's just so inspiring. And I'm looking forward to my first retreat. I can't wait to wait to come. Oh, I hope that you'll join us. Gosh, we, we really do have just a wonderful time. I'm, I'm making it sound like, you know, it's all meditation and deep, but you know, it's margaritas and it's dancing on the beach. It's just such a lovely release. Yeah. Yeah. I got it as soon as you you started talking about this idea of connecting with who we really are at the soul Mm -hmm. level, you know, beyond all these titles and roles and characters, you know, that's one of the four soul questions that we ask at the beginning of every Chopra meditation. You know, one of the soul questions is who am I? And it takes you beyond even your name, the name that is on your birth certificate. It Mm -hmm. goes even beyond that. And these roles and characters that we move in and out of all the time, it's really intended to take us way past all that. That's just, right. Yeah, support us with this really getting to the essence of who we truly are. So no, that's beautiful. And I know a part of that is just allowing yourself to have fun and be, be light. Yeah, be yeah. free. Now, one of my favorite quotes from the Abraham Hicks teachings is this idea that our lives are supposed to feel good to us. They're supposed to be joyful. They're supposed to. That is like the base setting. And somehow we get really off track with that. And, you know, some of us are taught that we should feel guilty and we should feel ashamed Mm. and we're not enough. And so we have to reprogram ourselves there's this idea of, you know, not being able to teach an old dog a new trick. <laughs> it's not that the old dog can't learn a new trick. The old dog is probably set in his or her ways. 
and perhaps not that interested in learning a new trick, but it can always learn new tricks. We can't unlearn the old tricks, but we absolutely can learn new tricks. So we have to find that personal motivation and inspiration to be a forever learner and be willing to reprogram ourselves so that we can live life limitlessly and have joy more abundantly. Absolutely. All about the abundance of joy. So I wanted to talk to you because I can still feel the deep love connection, the deep soul connection between you and your sister. I mean, there's still an emotional expression about her physical absence. And so for someone as evolved as you, who actually understands that she is indeed with you. Yeah, she really is like literally. Yeah, that there's still this sometimes sadness about the loss of the physical aspect Mm -hmm. of that connection which I think speaks to the importance of physical connection. Mm -hmm. So Data Pinkett Smith, there was a joke made about her describing an intimate relationship that she'd had while she was married to Will as an entanglement. Mm -hmm. And she was being cutesy. And, but, you know, for those of us who understand a bit more about Jada's history and, and how she rolls, she meant that very intentionally and deliberately. It was an entanglement. And so in following, for example, some of Bruce Lipton's work where he talks about energy connections and coherence, we know that, and I think even within our own community, there's this adage of, you know, be careful who you touch and who you let touch you. That's right. That's right. So can you talk a little bit about this idea of entanglement and physical connection and the importance of being intentional about it? I love that you brought this up. As you were speaking and using the words entanglement, I go back to energy. Mm-hmm. We have invisible cords of energy emanating from each one of us. And you know that movie, Avatar? Well, there's a couple mm-hmm. of Avatar movies. I mean, the one where the people were blue and from another planet. And when they want to connect with their horse, that one that could fly, they literally take their tail and they plug it in and they connect to this other animal. Right. And then they become one. That's what we're doing. We have invisible cords. And when we physically come in contact with someone, our cords are entangling with one another. When you use the term, be careful who you touch and who you let touch you, even energetically, we need to be very careful about whose energy we allow to come into our being, into our energy space around us, Mm -hmm. and then into our physical being, because that energy can have an impact on us. It can be a negative impact. It can be a positive impact, right? But we have some control over that and we can protect our energy. So we talk about that quite often, right? Protect your energy, you know, don't let everybody in your space. And I'm sure that you've probably talked about that on your podcast. You talk about that with your clients and patients and people that come to you. And some of that protection should be done intentionally with our words. When I prepare to perform Reiki on someone, moving my hands over someone's physical space or in distance healing, having their image in front of me through a picture or virtually in Zoom or WebEx, however I choose to do that, I say an intentional protection. I protect my physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual body from any energy that does not serve my highest good. And I protect the individual that I'm working with physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually from any energy that is not theirs and does not protect 
or lift up their highest good. I say that before I begin any Reiki session. So I am intentionally putting boundaries Mm -hmm. so that the only thing that can get in is something that is positively enhancing us for our greater good, for our higher selves. And I think all of us should operate in that way when interacting with anyone, whether it's our mother and father, a sibling, Mm -hmm. a spouse, our partner, our children, our close friends, because um, all energy is not necessary to be connected to us, entangled with these invisible cords that are emanating from us, plugged in like the avatar. Sometimes we need to unplug. We have to disconnect. Hence that time, as you said, in the morning and in the evening, those two times of being with self or grounding even, you know, spending time in nature with bare feet and ridding energy that's not conducive to our well-being and uplifting our abundant joy, letting that go into the earth, but then also thanking the earth for taking it. For receiving Um, it, yeah. Yeah, like thank you earth for doing that. Now, I'm just not going to use you as a dumping ground, but then also asking you to please recycle that energy and then feed me with positive energy, positivity. And so that's what grounding and earthing is, like releasing and receiving the reciprocity of it. And then maybe also giving some good energy to the earth. I dig my fingers down into the dirt and I'm connecting with the grid of all that's living. You know, there's a grid between these trees and these plants and these flowers that we see up top, but down below they are all connected. And so I just want to tap in and I want to give them some love too. So I'm not just receiving, I'm also giving you some of my love intentionally. So that's how I feel about entanglements and protection. I love that. And there were a couple of things I wanted to highlight from that. One is, you know, sometimes we operate as though it's an all or nothing proposition. You can be in relationship with a person and recognize and appreciate that energetically in a particular moment, it's not a good time to entangle. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. you don't have to completely sever the connection to another person. But what you can choose to intentionally do is not perpetuate an energetic vibration that's not serving both of your highest good. That's right. Acknowledging that, hey, let's table this. Let's do this at another time. And, you know, I set the intention to go dig in the dirt so I can come to this, you know, come to the conversation in a better grounded place. And I love the second point that I really wanted to underscore that you made is this idea of being a giver as much as you are a receiver. A lot of times our mindset and our set point is, you know, kind of what's in it for me? What can I get from this? What can I take from this? But I am definitely one of those, and it sounds like you are as well, who operates in the, I'm going to put out what I'd like to get back and trust that in the giving, the receiving takes care of itself. Absolutely. I completely, completely concur. I am you and you are. We're one and the same. We're one and the same. There's no separateness. And that's where we really do find, I think, the true magic in living limitlessly. You know, we don't have to isolate and segregate, but recognizing that, you know, we all have all characteristics and all traits, and we don't have to create these tiers of goodness or T-I-E-R-S. It's interesting as I was thinking, I should spell that out because we could also do the T-E-A-R-S, right? 
but tears of goodness and tears of badness that we're all the same. And each of us, I think you mentioned this earlier, you know, each of us is capable of any particular thing and a set of circumstances unique to us to bring out that characteristic. So no need for us to get all haughty about our ability to act a certain way. Exactly. Exactly. Because it's not real, actually. You know, that's a part of the limits is believing that there are these levels and these pieces and someone is better than, greater than, more connected than, you know, that, that living limitlessly is also living labellessly. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Let's just strip all that away. All the, because on the one end it can be pretense and it can be like this, I am other, but when it's not on the, what we would consider sort of the elevated scale, then it can actually be a form of oppression and we can unintentionally oppress our fellow brothers and sisters in ways that we would never want to if we were really operating in this heart space. Absolutely. Well, we're nearing the end of our time and I want to be very respectful and mindful of your time. Is there something in particular that you had hoped to be able to share that hasn't yet had an opportunity to come out in our conversation today? I think we've really covered it all. Just living life limitlessly, finding your joy all the time and knowing that God lives within and we are all one and the same and equal and able to manifest. We've touched on the most important pieces, I think. Well, I'm delighted to hear you say that. And I typically ask my guests what's bringing them joy these days in particular. Is there anything in particular that's bringing you joy these days? You know what's interesting? I'm going to say something that you would not expect. Clubhouse, an app, is bringing me joy. And it's not for the reason that some people might think. The Clubhouse app does not show images of a person. It's not video. It's just groups of people joining together in a room to discuss a common topic. Once people come onto Clubhouse initially, they get a little sucked in and they end up being on there for hours, just losing their day. But I knew from the very beginning when I joined Clubhouse that I had no intention of doing that, that I would use it intentionally. I would be very thoughtful about when I was on there and what room I would join. And there was only one room, only one room that I am a part of. And it happened every day at 930 in the morning, Eastern Daylight Time. And it's called the Reading of the Diamond Sutra. The Diamond Sutra is an ancient Buddhist text. It is 32 chapters of the oldest written text. It is the first written Buddhist text. And it highlights the story between Gautama Siddhartha, who is Buddha, Buddha speaking to a monk named Subhuti. And we read every day one chapter. We are in our fourth reading of these 32 chapters, and we never take a break. There are six of us that moderate. So if for any reason, maybe I'm on a plane and I can't do it, I have another person who moderates. And we talk about the principles in the Diamond Sutra. And that is bringing me joy. Being with like-minded people from around the world. We have people sharing from India, in the United States, the Caribbean, Africa, tuning in no matter what time it is where they are at 9.30 Eastern Daylight Time, AM, to read this one chapter initially for 30 minutes. And now we go for an hour because we play OM, A-U-M, OM, at the end. And that's how it ends. There are no words. It's just the vibration. 
And that is bringing me so much joy for the last two months. I just love it. It's not the beginning of my day because I start early at like five in the morning, but it's a nice little later morning kickoff for the rest of my day. Yeah, I love that. I was one of those people that kind of got sucked into Clubhouse at the beginning. (laughs) And then I did like the total, I did like the Naomi Osaka thing. I said, that's it. I'm not going to. I'm done. Mm -hmm. done. But I did make a note and I am going to join your room and I will plan to as often as my schedule will allow me. Yeah, just pop in one day. It's so magical. Just to pop in and participate in that energy. That's going to be, I'm looking forward to that actually. Well, I definitely want to thank you for being here. I'd like to thank our listeners for tuning in. For those of you who are interested in learning more about all of the amazing work that Althea is doing and perhaps find yourself on one of her holistic wellness retreats, we're going to include a couple of links where you can find out more about Althea and what she's doing and how to get more connected into this wonderful work that she's doing, supporting the healing of individuals and groups in wonderful and magical ways and truly just making a difference in the overall well-being of the planet, you'll be able to find that there. And so I know I typically will end this by saying, I hope that you've heard something that inspires or touches you, but I am uber confident that that is exactly what has happened. And hopefully this will be an episode that you'll listen to a couple of times because Althea has just been so incredibly generous with her energy and with her time her wisdom, her understanding. And so until next week, I want to, as always in closing, encourage you to be full of joy, fully you. Have a wonderful rest of the day. A little, a little.